Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. At the heart of any criminal case is the evidence that is used to support or discredit charges uh, being brought against the defendant. Naturally, the quality and relevance of that evidence is critical to the case for, for either of those sides. Uh, welcome back to Liberty and the Law, everyone. This is your host, Jim Mitchell. And evidence is a topic we've discussed many times on this series with our highly regarded guide through the world of law, Defense Attorney James Dore of Lavelle Law. Uh, James joins me again today as we look at the, the means in which evidence can or perhaps cannot be collected uh, with emphasis on the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution. Um, and James, I know that you know there won't be simple answers to most of the questions, so let's start with an easy one today and ask how you're doing. Everything well with you? Uh, everything is going well, Jim. Thank you for giving me an easy softball question right up front. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've got at least one specific case we're going to look at today, but um, we'll also need to talk in some general terms to cover this topic. So let's let's start with the the legal pillar in this scenario, the Fourth Amendment. Um, what what did the founding fathers intend with that particular addition? A great question, great question. It's really, Jim, it ties in with our whole concept of this show of liberty and the law. This, the Fourth Amendment, um, was drafted by the founders to to secure uh, Americans in their in their um, rights of privacy, essentially in their in their uh, homes and whatnot. So the exact language is the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. So that's very a broad brush of what's protected, persons, houses, papers, and effects. So that gives you a broad, they meant to paint with a broad brush to secure. And again, you know, in, I think there's a, a key a line in the decision we're talking about here, the Leonard Smock decision, and that, that is that the, the chief e- evil that they were trying to protect in the founders, mm-hmm. the chief evil to protect against is invasion of the home. Um, that the home is sacrosanct, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that is, they, they meant to draw a clear line at the entrance to the home that any warrantless entry is unreasonable. That was the, 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 the effects uh, of the, the amendment and the uh, subsequent decisions related to that. And subsequent decisions, that's something I want to touch on quickly here for maybe a little history lesson. I assume then, and, and throughout your career in dealing with the law, that the Fourth Amendment has really been central to, to a number of different cases. This is one that I'm sure has been uh, looked at and reviewed and potentially upheld many times in, in the course of our history here. Fourth Amendment search and seizure law, it comes up all the time in criminal cases. Uh, we've discussed it with um, you know, drug cases and, and stopping of vehicles and searching of vehicles or searching of persons. Um, but this today we're talking about the home and how, like I said, how sacrosanct that home is. That that yeah. that clear line at the at the home is is, is a, a clear demarcation of the importance of the home in uh, American Americans' lives and the value. You mentioned uh, yeah, and you mentioned the Smock case, uh, State of Illinois versus Leonard A. Smock. Um, well, can you share some of the specifics of the original case with us on this? First of all. This is a great case. This is a great case. This this is a man who, on his own, pro se, 
had to file and argue his own motion because his public defender refused to take up the, the argument he wanted to make. So he went so far as to drafting his own motion, filing it in court. Um, he asked for his, another lawyer to do it. They wouldn't give it to him. So he argued it and, and ran the motion on his own and stuck to his guns, which I love. As a defense attorney, I love when citizens stand up for their rights. This is a man mm-hmm. who from the get-go said this was not right. They came in my house without a warrant. And he, 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 you know, he said this is not right, and he stood his ground, and I love it. I love it. Now, the original charges against him were relatively minor, is that right? Yeah, it started with a disorderly conduct uh, charge, which is really your catch-all in the criminal uh, world, the catch-all statute. If they don't know, the cops don't know what to charge a guy with, you're usually going to find a disorderly conduct charge, okay? Here it made sense. I mean, the, the, the neighbor called, there was some noise next door, and there have been some repeated calls about this defendant in the past. So there have been contact and, and whatnot. So there's a few behind-the-scenes things going on that I, don't, I can't see from the decision, but I think they're, they're there. Um, but when the officer showed up and he um, talked to the neighbor, they advised, well, if you swear out a disorderly conduct complaint, we can go and arrest the guy right now. So that's what they did. Swore out a complaint, mm-hmm. went next door, based and this is based on some, some noises of like knocking on the walls and that sort of thing. So that's what they went by to do. So they knock on the door, and our defendant doesn't open the door. And the cops say to him, well, um, just open the door. We want to talk to you. We're not going to place you under arrest and that sort of thing. They assure him that he won't, uh, that he won't be arrested. They just want to talk to him. Well, as soon as he opens the door, um, he ends up being chased back into his own house because they want to place him under arrest immediately. Um, and Mr. Smock ends up getting tased in his own living room, in the living room of his own house, gets tased by the police um, in the process of, con- you know, of conducting this arrest. And he was tased, I think the sworn testimony, that he was uh, one of the officers felt threatened by a, a two-liter pop bottle that was in the, in the trailer. So that's, that's what happens. So it, when they place him under arrest, they find, uh, in addition to the disorderly conduct charge that they, they arrest him for, um, they find him in possession of some methamphetamine and some hypodermic needles. So that's where this goes from a Class C misdemeanor disorderly conduct into felony territory and... Uh, I think he was originally sentenced to five years, Department of Corrections. So, this is this is a big case for this man. Yeah, and and that's that's where it gets interesting now because as as you said, he was he was sentenced, he was found guilty, and it was then through appeal that we then find the situation which you described, where he's assigned a public defender, defender doesn't really respond to what Mr. Smock wants, and he takes his case on his own then. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and, and that's how, where. Yeah, and so he takes. And ultimately, he was vindicated on appeal. Yeah, and let's talk about that because now, the, now, now we take a look at the Fourth Amendment, and um, let's talk about through the appeal process how that amendment came to, came to play for him and how it upheld his his uh, his claim. Right. Well, essentially, this was a warrantless arrest in a home, and the Constitution and, and, and subsequent case law is clear that that is not allowed. That is not allowed. Now they tried getting around this, saying there was exigent circumstances. Is um, one of the one of the uh, exceptions to the warrant requirement is if there is probable cause for an arrest and there's exigent circumstances. 
some of the things that they've turned out to be, such as you know, possible drug evidence getting flushed down the toilet, would be a, a, one of the reasons for an exigent circumstance. Okay. Now, in this case, the officers had no reason to believe there'd be any meth in this on this guy's possession. They were there for a noise complaint. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, the 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 exigent circumstances argument that the state's attorneys tried to make in this case was was shot down uh, on on appeal. So um, I did a little search on this too, and I and I looked at where the site of this uh, the the home uh, was and the police department. The police department was less than seven tenths of a mile away. All right, this is in, according to my little Google map search. It was four <laughs> minutes, four minutes drive, and that's four minutes with people who don't have emergency lights on their vehicle. So there okay. would have been no problem to get down, swear out a complaint. Get a, get a, an arrest warrant sworn out and get back for this. I mean, there was really, um, you know, there was no need for this type of yeah. uh, rush yeah. uh, uh, to arrest this man. Um, we're we're talking to uh, Attorney James Doar of Lavelle Law. He always shares each month uh, some experience insights on, on the criminal defense system. And often, as we are doing today, we take a specific case from recent rulings and, and discuss that, see what can be learned about individual rights and liberty in the justice system. Uh, James' background quite extensive and on display better than ever at the newly designed LavelleLaw.com um, updated website. So take a look there. Uh, and a return trip, if you have been there, uh, is worth it uh, with the new look and more information. Um, now, James, uh, you, you talked about the exigent situation or circumstances. Uh, if I read this case right, it seemed to me that as they were standing on the doorstep of his residence and he refused to come out, uh, they used a claim that they they had the right to pursue him because they were in hot pursuit at that time. Is that um, is that a term you came across in reading this as well? Again, that, and that hot pursuit would be another uh, in that same uh, realm of, of uh, uh, exceptions to the warrant requirement, but it is an exception. All right, um, there was no hot pursuit in this case, though, and, and I think the uh, the the appellate um, court was pretty clear on that. That they they uh, did not. Uh, give much credence to that argument on a basis because you know if you look at the facts this guy wasn't going anywhere he was in his own home mm-hmm. he said to the cops i'm going to stay here i'll quiet down you know that you, you, you don't need to arrest me but you know that's how it kind of started and after these assurances that he wouldn't be placed under arrest or they just wanted to talk to him that's how the officers end up in the house but it wasn't through a hot pursuit of this guy he wasn't actively fleeing the police he was in his own home so the uh, the officers came to his home to make the argument that they were you know, in hot pursuit of a fleeing felon. I think mm-hmm. is, is an outrageous claim, and I don't think the appellate court gave it much credence at all. Yeah. So explain how the appellate court reacted then in terms of what what happened in the case then relative to Mr. Smock uh, at the at the end. I think the most important thing that the appellate court did was uphold the traditional view of the Fourth Amendment, and that is that um, warrantless warrantless entries into people's homes is presumptively unreasonable. And as the statute, the amendment says, unreasonable searches and seizures, which this is, shall not be violated. So the right to be secure should not be violated. So this is a violation. This is a violation of this man's constitutional rights. Now, what it means in this case is that the conviction was overturned. It was actually remanded to the court, so back to the same court. So he could be retried on this. But the evidence seized in the case, the evidence that was unlawfully seized, will not be uh, able to be admitted by the, the prosecution 
to prove this man guilty. So the methamphetamine is going to be suppressed. Um, I don't know about the needle. It should be suppressed, too. The state's attorneys dropped that uh, that count, so I don't know why they dropped that count. Usually it's proof problems. But uh, mm-hmm. at any rate, that evidence cannot be used against Mr. Smock at the subsequent trial. So that's important. And and what does this what does a ruling like this do for for future cases? Obviously, uh, we, we talk about you know case law and, and constitutional law and precedent. Is, is this uh, now another case that simply gets added to the list that people have to refer back to and be aware of? I don't know if it'll be that big, uh, Jim, but it does just it, it points out some some uh, values that we have as a society. Okay, these are enshrined in our in our Fourth Amendment, our Constitution in general. So, a lot of people listen to to, to the show think, you know, they've never committed a crime. Why should I be concerned about this guy? This guy's, uh, you know, a trailer park meth head. And in the balance of society, most people aren't going to find him very credible or, or care much. But this is this man's home, you know, trailer or not. This is this man's home, and the police came in without authority, right, and tased this man in his own living room and arrested him and that is the effect of the decision the overall effect on society as a whole this reinforces our beliefs in the sanctity of the home and that the government can't come in without a warrant and it's not a huge requirement to get a warrant it's just not a huge yeah. requirement go state the evidence in front of a judge they'll sign it and authorize it the police to go and do it it's not that big of a deal. So I love that the that way this case states the principles of constitutional law, and it shows how valuable it is to the rest of us. Because this started out with a noise complaint, don't forget. This could be yep. any neighbor who's mad at you could call the police and cause this to happen. Any neighbor. I'll swear out a complaint against him. Go in a house and get him. Who knows what's going to happen on the next guy? This is, this is uh, again, it, it shows how decisions like this affect the rest of us. Well, uh, very insightful view, as always, with uh, Attorney James Storr, and I think an outstanding case, uh, one for us to review and have a great conversation about, as we do here each month. So thanks to uh, thanks to Attorney Dorr for taking the time to join me today. Always a pleasure when we get a chance to talk. And certainly want to thank everyone for being here to listen as well. Uh, again, I, I want to reiterate that uh, uh, LaBelleLaw.com, which has always been a great resource for articles, podcasts, and other information, uh, has been updated, includes even more, easier to navigate, and you'll find a lot about James and his practice there. So uh, you can also, as always, reach out to him directly at 847 um, and just reach out, ask your questions. I'm sure he'll be happy to help you out. And as always, thanks so much for being here to listen.